you have a look in your Bibles, um, right at the beginning, there is the book of Genesis. Uh, and right at the start of Genesis, we have this story, don't we? This epic story of creation. And it's the first thing in our Bibles. And, and you could be forgiven for assuming that this is uh, uh, the first thing that God spoke to humanity about. You know, uh, when he was introducing himself, he goes, let me let me explain how I made the heavens and the earth. But the thing is, though that is the first thing to appear in scripture, it looks like that wasn't the first thing that God spoke to humanity about. Um, that God didn't begin by introducing himself to humanity with grand words about chaotic surfaces of the earth and light suddenly appearing and animals and all these other things. To be honest, I'm not sure that is as important to most people in daily ordinary life as you are washing up, going to work, trying to sort out uh, cheap uh, car insurance. These cosmological questions aren't dear to your heart. They're not something uh, that uh, becomes particularly important. They're not the most pressing things about the meaning of life. Have you also noticed that we don't have agonising questions of meaning when we experience joy, when we experience satisfaction, when we experience pleasure? Have you noticed that? Uh, when we're enjoying something, when we're revelling in it, whether it's eating or uh, a good book or, or a hobby that we enjoy, we don't stop and go, hmm, where's the meaning of God in this? We just enjoy the pleasure very simply and honestly. We ask the big questions when evil comes. We ask the big questions when suffering comes. We ask the big questions, big questions when sadness and death interrupt life. It's almost as if we are uh, like pigs in mud with good things, with joy, with gladness. And when bad things come, we are confused by it. It stops us in its tracks. We are like, what on earth is going on? I don't understand. And so bearing all this in mind, we really shouldn't be surprised when the experts look at the texts and look at the original scripts and find that it is likely that the book of Job is the most ancient of our texts. That the book of Job is the first thing that God got written down. You see, while much of the Old Testament is either poetry, just like sort of the Genesis uh, creation account or Psalms, or it's prose, you know, sort of ordinary spoken uh, histories and narratives and accounts. The book of Job is written slightly different. It's a dramatic book. It's a book of drama. You have different people speaking uh, and it looks like it was written about 4,000 years ago, which is a long time. Let me read the beginning of the book of Job. If you've got a Bible, turn to it. If you haven't got a Bible, what are you doing? Uh, so get out your uh, phone, your iPad, your 
uh, actual proper uh, physical Bible and go to uh, Job chapter 1. So it looks like these were the first words that God got written down and preserved for the help of humanity. And it says this in the book of Job chapter 1 and we're going to go to verse 6. One day the sons of God, or uh, uh, so my NIV translates as angels, but it's sons of God's uh, sons of God in the uh, in, in Hebrew. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, "Where have you come from?" And Satan answered the Lord, "From roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro." On it, you can you can sense this drama, can't you? You can sense this. It's almost like a play uh, being played out. And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil." Does God? Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. You can almost hear just the. Uh, the, the sarcasm in his voice. Have you put, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This looks like it was the oldest, one of the, like the oldest part of our Bibles. And this story immediately plunges us into a very uh, uh, specific worldview. God reigns supreme. Everyone is answerable to him. And there are spiritual beings. It's not just God and man, but you have these spiritual beings. The Hebrew says sons of God. Um, and they uh, uh, exist in sort of God's presence and uh, uh, in relation to the earth as well. And we have this humanity that lives semi-aware of what is going on. So we have, uh, uh, before this, we have this uh, account of Job. Uh, and he's righteous and he, and he seems to have this sensibility about God and uh, his kids live a little bit uh, 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 wild and, and, and he's always uh, sort of uh, conscious that they may not have that sensibility about God like he does. And so you have this very dramatic and clear worldview depicted at the beginning of Job. And we are challenged just by these few words to realise that life is not random and life is not just physical, that uh, there is more to it than what we just see with our eyes. And so we are called into a, a grander picture, a grander stage, a grander play uh, where Elohim, this, uh, this God Almighty, he smiles on the righteous. He looks and he finds pleasure in those that have a, uh, uh, that live with an understanding and a respect for him. And so, um, and then you have these sons of God, these angels, as we call them. Um, and amongst them, there is one that is different. That is, uh, that seems to have an, a different uh, alliance. And, 
and we find in Hebrew a word Satan, which means adversary. So amongst the sons of God, we have one that's distinct and he's an adversary. And in God's glorious, beautiful, big, full creation, there is one who is opposed to Elohim. He is an adversary to God Almighty. And so we have, um, again, uh, a, uh, a different picture of reality. We have God, we have angels, and we have this Satan that is there to uh, come against God, uh, is a foe to him. And in particular, we find that this foe finds uh, a particular mileage in people, in uh, the, the population of the earth. It seems that, you know, God has created the heavens and the earth and, and Satan understands that that man and woman made in God's likeness are the triumph, the, the pinnacle of all that uh, God has made. And it is that that Satan pays particular attention to. And uh, we find that as an adversary of God, he finds uh, a particular mileage in attacking that, in deriding that, in driving it down, in, in, in somehow separating God from his most beautiful creation. And so we find here this uh, uh, repartee between God and the devil. And he says, you know, sort of, uh, have you considered Job? And he goes, Job only loves you because you give him nice things. And then God goes, well, we'll see. Take away his nice things. It's a challenging understanding when we talk about, oh, God is love and he doesn't want anything bad to happen. When Satan challenges him, God goes, take it away. Let's see what happens. Um, and uh, the devil does it, attacks Job to prove God wrong because he's the adversary of God. And uh, Job is kind of caught in the middle of this spiritual battle, of this warfare, this adversary and Elohim that are battling it out. And uh, Job, poor guy, he absolutely gets floored by Satan. Um, and there are all sorts of horrible things that happen to him. And uh, Job... Uh, has to sort of process it and work it out. What is going on? Why is this happening to me? And he does a whole load of soul searching and he sits with his friends who, who say, oh, you must have angered God. You must have done something wrong. And Job thinks, oh, I haven't. You know, I'm a righteous man in so many ways. Prove me wrong. Um, and then after all this toing and froing, this drama, this script between uh, Job and these other guys, we find these beautiful words. Some of the most beautiful words in scripture. It says this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know, got uh, Job operated with an understanding of God before the devil hit him. He operated with a uh, recognition that God was in his heaven. Um, but it was only after this spiritual warfare only after the devil laid waste to his family to his wealth to his health only after that 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 job suddenly realized uh where his appreciations lay where his allegiance lay where 
um, did he curse God and die like his wife encouraged him to do? No, he uh, finds that when everything is stripped away, God is the most important thing to him. And that uh, God's goodness in the middle of all that was still unquestionable. And so we find this spiritual battle and we find it worked out in Job's life and him trying to process it. Um, and we find at the end that it brings him clarity, it brings him wisdom and it brings him gratitude. I wonder if that's something that we can say after a spiritual battle. You know, we get all this insight and uh, uh, um, thankfulness afterwards because that is what Job is offering. And very few of us will go through half of what Job uh, had to do. So we've got this different perspective now and hopefully as Christians we're, we live with it constantly but we have in Job uh, this foundational observation uh, uh, that we live in a world where God is in his heaven where uh, there are these sons of God and one of them uh, is just uh, God's adversary and it's played out in humanity and and um, there's a very famous preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, uh, he had some things to say about that um, and uh, we're going to uh, read uh, uh, from his book uh, called Spiritual Depression which is a, a delightful name for uh, a bit of text isn't it? it says this we are in the fight of faith and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Hopefully that's very familiar to you, that little bit of text that he nabs from Ephesians 6. And while it is so, we must be prepared for the occurrence of this condition that we are considering, this spiritual depression. And we must be prepared for its manifestation in all types of people and in all kinds of ways. There is nothing that so characterises all the activities of Satan as his subtlety. He is not only able and powerful, the devil is subtle. Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells us that he can transform himself into an angel of light if necessary. The one thing he desires to do is to ruin and destroy the work of God. That's Satan, the adversary. And there is no work of God which is more anxious, he is more anxious to destroy than the work of grace in and through our Lord Jesus, uh, Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Therefore, from the moment we become Christian, we become the special object of Satan's attention. Does that come as a surprise to you? That is why James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. We are to rejoice because it is proof of our faith. The moment we become Christian, the devil is particularly concerned to get us down. He has no more successful way of doing that than to make us miserable. Do you hear that? The devil has no more successful way of getting us down than making us miserable or to make us suffer from what Charles Lamb has described as the mumps and measles of the soul. Such Christians are like malnourished children, not growing, not manifesting health 
and vigour. And any Christian in that condition is more or less a denial of his own faith and Satan is pleased. Are you a miserable Christian? Are you, uh, do you have the mumps and measles of the soul? That's why we're going through these bits of text. So I've been going through this series on spiritual warfare so that we are aware of the fight room, so that we don't exist uh, in ignorance. There is a fight going on and we are in it whether we want it or not. And particularly this can be hard on us when we are isolated. When we are isolated from our brothers and sisters where I have to speak through YouTube and you don't see uh, uh, the people that you normally hang out with at church very regularly. We can feel uh, remote and isolated and, and we need to talk about spiritual warfare. Uh, in that sort of context and so that is why we've been going on uh, all this time over uh, the battle. This spiritual dimension to our existence isn't an inconvenience. You know when you feel it, it isn't, oh man, uh, this is uh, a blip. It is your life. As a Christian, the devil is constantly looking for ways to undermine what God has done and to drive you apart from him. It is not an add-on, you know, it's not an optional extra that Christians can think about, that Christians can, uh, uh, you know, pay attention to, perhaps when they go to a Christian conference or on Sundays and then the rest of their life, you know, it's just normal life. Spiritual warfare is constant all the time whether we recognise it or not. And so the drama of Job tells us this is the fundamental context of our life. It's not just the material things that we look to and uh, enjoy. It's not just the emotional aspect to our lives. It's not just our health and wealth. There is a spiritual environment that we are acting in that we may not always feel it but it is still going on and we are idiots if we do not engage with it. We are being ignorant and far from truth if we do not realise that there is a devil about roaming to and from the earth looking for someone to devour. And so as we uh, build up this picture in our minds, let us once again go back to Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 um, and it says this. If you've got a pen, perhaps uh, underline. Uh, the bits that really speak to you. I can barely see the, uh, the text in between my underlining and highlighting everything else. Uh, it says this in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the world of Job, isn't it? This is the world of God 
the sons of God and the earth. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. If you haven't journeyed with us up to verse uh, 16, I suggest you sort of revisit some of the other talks. Uh, uh, we've had a few already to lay a foundation to get to here. Uh, so look up the YouTube, they're on our channel and on our podcast. Um, and and that will help you build up a picture and will prepare you for what's going to be said today. So verse 15 doesn't actually mention a bit of armour at all. It says, uh, it doesn't even mention clothing. It says, uh, the gospel... We'll make our feet ready. We'll make our feet nimble. What does that mean? Well, first of all, we've got to recognise what the gospel of peace is. Now, normally we'd go back to a classic bit of text that tells us what the gospel of peace is. Normally we would revisit something that would be very familiar as to what the gospel is. But I don't know about you, but I've been continuing going through our Bible reading plan through uh, Paul's uh, epistles. And let me encourage you, if you haven't been doing that, uh, you've still got time uh, uh, to have a look at those because they are fantastic. They're just full of rich theology and, and, and helpful uh, advice. Um, but um, as I was going, as we near the end of them, I keep noticing these mini creeds that I hadn't noticed before. These little sayings that Paul kind of summarises the gospel with. Um, and so a recent one that uh, hopefully you'll have come across yourselves is in uh, 2 Timothy verse 11. And it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. And Paul often uses that phrase for sort of, sort of foundational stuff. And he goes, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, with Jesus, we will also live with him. And so that's very foundational, you know. Uh, we died with Christ uh, uh, through baptism, through repentance, and we will also live with him. And there's the hope for the future. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And this is the hope of the resurrection there. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You know, if we reject him, then he rejects us. But even if Christians are faithless, you know, if we don't even have that mustard seed of faith, does God leave us out? He says he remains faithful. And there we have uh, another indication of the uh, mercy, compassion, patience of God for he can not, cannot disown himself there's some beautiful words there and we have another depiction of the gospel Jesus's death and resurrection is essential to our own death to sin and resurrection to new creation and our hope for uh, uh, eternal life and then it all drilling down being based on the character of God 
And so we find in this moment of poetry, in this moment of song, um, the centrality of Jesus, the centrality of his death and resurrection and the centrality of God's grace. This is another summary of the gospel that we should enjoy and uh, be able to memorise and, and find helpful. And so the gospel of peace that Paul is talking about in uh, Ephesians 6 is this drama of salvation. He's talking about that moment in 2 Timothy saying that is the gospel of peace that we treasure. Now uh, uh, in the first century Roman soldiers had uh, uh, wore shoes on their feet but they, but they wore sandals um, and they were called uh, caligae. Um, and so you had this uh, um, you had this sole and you had like this leather upper and a, and a midsole and uh, one was nailed to the other uh, and then you had a uh, an inner sole put on the top of that so you had like three layers um, and then the, the upper uh, leather and, and that was what made up the shoes of the infantry and the foot soldiers in the Roman army um, and it meant that your feet were cool uh, in the Mediterranean heat, you know, uh, we tend to laugh at people who wear sandals in the, in the winter in the UK, uh, uh, but in the Roman Empire where heat was such a problem, the sandals were very uh, effective and the, the hobnail, uh, hobnails in the, in the soles meant that they could grip and go on for long marches. And so this is the, the shoes that Paul has in mind when he's talking about the readiness that comes through the gospel. And then the glorious drama of the gospel is well known to us, when we are familiar to us. So when, when someone asks us what is the gospel and we are able to summarise it succinctly and sweetly and with a smile on our face. When it is well known by us, well loved by us and well worn in the habits of our life. Uh, we have the nimbleness that comes from the gospel. We are battle ready in our feet. We are prepared to move because we know this story. And so when the accuser, when Satan comes to us and says, you do not deserve salvation or you look at another uh, believer acting poorly and you go, oh, aren't they a hypocrite? Or aren't you a hypocrite when these accusations fly all around and our mind is full of uh, negative thoughts? We don't say, yeah, devil, you have a point. You know what? I, I think I'm with you on that one. We don't worry or fear about our salvation or their salvation. We don't feel guilty uh, because we failed uh, God again. We don't become judgmental because other people haven't uh, come in alignment with what we think faith looks like. We smile and we dodge the jab when Satan comes at us with these familiar weapons that we should all be well acquainted with by now if we've loved Jesus for any amount of time at all. This gospel of peace causes us to move and, and just uh, uh, dodge the bullet because we know this gospel of peace is all about grace and forgiveness grace and forgiveness and when we are tempted to be something else we just remember the grace and forgiveness and we become nimble uh, and able to uh, avoid these uh, devilish schemes to get us down and so Martin Lloyd-Jones would say are you spiritually stale are you spiritually stagnant are you spiritually depressed 
then you don't have the readiness that comes from the gospel. And uh, Paul would say to you, drink in the good news again. Become familiar with it. Allow, allow it to enrich your soul. Allow it to nourish the marrow of your bones. Allow it to be the thing upon which you rest. You won't be able to dodge uh, uh, the devil's temptations if you don't know the gospel well. The second piece of scripture is a little, uh, the second piece of spiritual armour is a, is a little easier to conceive of. Uh, it's the shield. I mean, you kind of know what the shield, uh, a shield is. And uh, Paul explains plainly that this shield that we have, this uh, bit of armour, protects us from flaming arrows. Uh, in the modern age of gunpowder and chemical warfare and nuclear bombs, you're like, well, I'm not too sure that's a particularly effective uh, means of assault. This might sound a bit tame, but I want to take you back to the first century. The uh, uh, scenario that Paul kind of paints a picture uh, uh, for the Ephesians. There is this uh, Roman historian called uh, Titus Livius, who uh, it seems that history sort of affectionately just known him as Livy now. Um, and uh, he wrote in the first century and he wrote about uh, a battle in Spain uh, uh, with a 150,000 strong army. Uh, uh, besieging another and, and we have this account so the hotter and closer the fighting became the greater uh, so the hotter and closer the fighting became the greater grew the number of wounded for no missile fell ineffectively amongst the crowded ranks the missiles used was a javelin with a sh shaft smooth and a rounded up head to a point an iron point of a square section. The shaft was wrapped in fibres and then smeared with pitch. And we have this sort of flammable missile uh, already. Uh, the iron hand was three feet long and capable of penetrating uh, armour and body alike. So you've got a pretty gruesome uh, weapon uh, with this spike that can go in uh, for three feet. Um, and uh, penetrate armour and body alike even if it only stuck in the shield and did not reach the body it was a most formidable weapon for when it discharged for when it was discharged with the fibre set on fire the flame was fanned to a fiercer heat by its passage through the air and so you have this flaming dart this missile lit up through the air and it gets brighter and hotter and uh, more formidable formidable as it f flies um, and it would hit a soldier um, and he would, it would make his shield useless as it, it would burn and it would left him defenceless against the thought sword thrusts which followed and it was a means of disarming him and there are lots of other more graphic depictions of uh, just the flaming missiles causing all sorts of misery for soldiers with their shields because it is it's uh, just something uh, that will take you down and so can you imagine the terror and chaos a barrage of iron and fire would cause? You're on the battlefield, you have your sword and your shield and then these flaming arrows come flying at you uh, and uh, there is this just this possibility that bits will be rendered useless. So we make firstly no mistake, 
that the devil's assaults on us are comparable to war. When the devil tempts us, when the devil leads us astray, uh, these are not uh, minor infractions. They're not uh, small issues. This is part of war. When you fall to temptation, when you lose uh, to uh, unrighteousness, when you listen to those words that lead you astray, those are defeats. Those are moments in the spiritual battle uh, where uh, you have fallen back. In the first century, for Christians, this spiritual warfare looked uh, very graphic indeed. There was persecution, torture and death. And while that happens still for some Christians today, this doesn't necessarily happen for us in Bewbush. I don't know any of our congregation that has been martyred for their faith. And so that is our, rarely our lot today. So this, this drama of spiritual battle does not look like persecution, torture and death. We are enticed by developed countries' wealth. We are not rich because somehow we are more uh, worthy of it than other people. We uh, uh, have had the blessing of being born in this country and uh, by that uh, very that simple metric we have wealth at our disposal and the temptations that come our way are different and spiritual warfare in our lives what does it look like it means that we get put off our spiritual disciplines we have a lack of uh, um, a lack of uh, a particular fervour in our faith. We pray for something half-hearted, you know, something we want. We don't dedicate sort of nights of prayer and fasting. We're not on our knees. We don't know what our, our hard petition looks like. But we give out the occasional half-hearted prayer. Dear God, do this. And then it doesn't happen and we get depressed and dejected. When was the last time we fasted over something we cared for. When was the last time we went without food for days because an issue pressed upon our soul? When was the last time we spent uh, hours praying? Satan may not use famine or wars as attacks on believers in Bubish today, but other Assaults like temptation, pride, doubt and isolation come like a hail of missiles bright with fire. We uh, wander off and do other things. We neglect the things of God. We are full of pride and arrogance and somehow think our spiritual attainment is worthy of a round of applause. We doubt and we revel in that doubt and we allow to eat it to eat away our souls and we isolate ourselves and don't surround ourselves uh, uh, with uh, uh, Christian uh, people and our faith gets uh, chipped away at. We uh, again and again fall under the assault of these fiery missiles. Our contemporary culture loves to talk about mental and physical wellness now. It's, it's all the rage. But ultimately, your mental and physical wellness 
is useless without us attending to our spiritual health. There's no point in you uh, finding your body and mind but losing your soul. And so in daily life, we may not be able to see the javelins hurtling towards us. You know, we live with this sort of uh, just this dim awareness of the spiritual reality we live in. Uh, but when we despair, when we worry, when we morally fail, these are moments when the javelins are falling, when the fiery missiles are hitting us, when we avoid spiritual disciplines, when we... Uh, um, bow out of everything from uh, Sunday meetings and prayer meetings, when we bow out of reading the scripture, when we bow out of uh, intensive prayer, when we uh, neglect fasting, when all these things happen, these are the fiery missiles and they have found their target in us. Consider the makeup of our congregation. Consider the people that have come and gone. There are all sorts that we mourn, aren't there? They have fallen foul to a fiery missile. They have fallen foul of doubt or immorality. They have fallen foul of pride or negligence. Again and again we find people have um, become a victim in the spiritual battle because they have not been alert to the reality in their lives. I wonder if we consider our own attitude. Consider your own attitude to today's meeting. Was it something you looked forward to or was it a obligation that you feel uh, uh, that you have to fulfill? Are you watching because you want to learn more? Or because you need to do church so you can feel better about yourself the rest of today. What's your attitude to prayer? I am surprised that we don't get more of the prayer meeting. I don't understand that this very easy hour uh, on a Wednesday, why uh, people aren't uh, sort of logging in. Don't even have to leave your rooms. The Bible reading. How's that going? How regularly do you properly, not just a, uh, a verse for the day, but bits of text that you can uh, uh, track the narrative of uh, Jesus through? Giving money away, not uh, amassing it for your own pleasure and to make your life better, but giving it away so that other people are blessed. Are you good at exercising restraint when uh, other people behave in some way you go, you know what, that's for me. That's not for me because I'm a Christian. When you control your tongue, how many people just let their tongue uh, run riot and uh, bring other people down and just say all sorts of things that have uh, just ring absolutely false. We need something to to extinguish these assaults. We need something to protect us from these fiery javelins because they fall mercilessly and without restraint. Don't pretend that somehow a spiritual battle only happens on a Sunday or on a Monday morning. It is constant 
and without refrain. And you need to be alert to that and look out for it and be prepared for it. Now, I mentioned earlier the footwear used for uh, Roman soldiers. Well, uh, there is something called the scutum. And this was the latest military hardware in the first century. There's kind of like lasers or whatever in the uh, 21st. Um, so the amateurs, you know, the uh, the people that struck to tradition, they'd have the uh, uh, round, small round uh, Clypea sh shields. You know, it was uh, uh, sort of traditional and, and something they used time immemorial. But the, the warriors, the Roman warriors, the ones that would rule the Mediterranean world, they used this scutum. And the scutum was, uh, it was about two feet wide um, and about four feet high. Um, and it was kind of re rectangular in shape. Um, and it was kind of curved uh, around the soldier. Um, and it was mostly made up of leather and wood. However, the middle, it was different. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago a guy called Polybius, who was a, was a writer at this time. And um, he writes this about the shield. Its upper and lower rims are strengthened by an iron edging which protects it from descending blows and from injury when rested on the ground. It also has an iron boss, umbo, fixed to it which turns aside the most formidable blows of stone, pikes and heavy missiles. When addressing the Ephesians, Paul uses the Greek word thios. Uh, which is in Latin scutum. So he was talking about this particular Roman shield that was rectangular, sort of curved, and uh, had this iron umbo in the middle. And Paul said that when uh, believers are in warfare, they need to adopt this most recent bit of technology for their defence. When fire rains down on them, uh, then they need this shield. And just as the metal umbo in the middle repels red-hot arrows, Paul says faith repels the devil's missiles. When we are informed in our faith, when we are uh, clear in our grasp, when we know what we believe, when it becomes central to our being, these hurled things of temptation and comfort, these uh, things of pride, they bounce off uselessly. They don't have any impact because we are sure at our core what we believe. You know, when things don't happen the way we want, when the fiery arrows rain down from heaven, our faith means that we are impervious to their impact on our lives. And as we think of this, I want to close again with the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones as he talks about uh, this sort of spiritual warfare. In the last analysis, this is the one and only cause of our spiritual depression. It is the devil, the adversary of our souls. And he can use our temperaments and our physical condition. You know, whatever we are like as a person, the devil will use that. And so he so deals with us that we allow our temperament to control and govern us instead of keeping temperament where it should be kept. 
There is no end to the ways in which the devil produces spiritual depression, that hurl of fiery arrows that would look uh, to take us out. We must always bear him in mind. The devil's one object is to so depress God's people that he can go to the man of the world, you know, your neighbour, your friends, your work colleagues, and say, there are God's people. Do you want to be like that? wonder what your spiritual walk is. wonder what your demeanour is like. I wonder how people perceive you. Can the devil go to your neighbour and go, really, you want to be like that? Obviously, the whole strategy of the adversary of our souls and God's adversary is to depress us and make us look as this man looked when he was passing through this period of unhappiness. Indeed, I can put it finally like this. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief or faithlessness. You know, not having that shield of faith. For if it were not for unbelief, or if it were not for faithlessness, even the devil could do nothing. It is because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we go down before him and fall before his attacks. Do you have faith in God and in his gospel? And if you don't, if it isn't sure, then you are susceptible to every attack. And you'll go down before him. You'll be miserable. And the devil won't have to worry about you. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you. That you have not left us. Without help. As the devil looks to attack us. Lord God, I thank you that you you haven't just abandoned us on the battlefield to get on with it. Lord God, I thank you that you have given us all we need to stand strong. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus has already won the victory. But Lord God, I pray that we would uh, take our part too. Lord God, I pray that we would be familiar with the gospel. That it would be a precious thing to us and it would enable us to be nimble uh, in this spiritual battle and Lord God I pray also uh, for our faith Lord God I pray that it would be clear and strong and focused on you Lord God I thank you that once our trust in you is sure then no temptation no distraction no fiery missile can take hold in our lives and we will not be pushed back but we will stand on what Jesus has already done. Lord God I pray for all of our congregation in Bubish that you would help us Lord God as we are remain still isolated and, and unable to come and congregate together. Lord God I pray that we would live with this reality of a spiritual battle and, and uh, uh, we would act accordingly. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.